Hi, I'm Aviva Rumani, and welcome to episode 33 of Kindred Cast, Lion Tree's bi-weekly podcast featuring insights from deal makers and thought leaders from the world of tech, media, and everything in between. On today's show, we feature a sit-down interview from our Lion Tree private company conference held in New York earlier this June. Alex Michael, Lion Tree Growth's co-head, sits down with Jason Robbins, the CEO and co-founder of DraftKings, one of the most innovative sports, tech, entertainment platforms in the world. Listen as the Fortune 40 Under 40 CEO discusses everything from sports betting, their history with competitor FanDuel, and being a unicorn in today's market. Enjoy. I'm thrilled to welcome Jason Robbins to the stage here. He is the CEO of DraftKings. This is interesting. I pulled your bio off of the MIT conference you did, mm-hmm. and, and this is the description for the company. And so it says, the innovative sports tech entertainment platform. It's that a lot. Is changing the way. No, it's not done. That is changing <laughs> the way consumers around the world engage with and consume sports. That sounds about right. That sounds good. Yeah. Is that where it is? Good job, uh, Elisa, wherever you are. So, Jason, thanks so much for coming. Thank you. It's awesome to have you. I know you're a busy man right now. I think people are very interested in the topic of sports betting, which we'll get to, which is obviously very prevalent with what's going on with the Supreme Court. You founded this company in 2012 with a couple of buddies. Before we get to sports betting, I wanted to talk a little bit about last year, or a year and a half ago, which was for people who follow the space loosely, Jason had announced essentially a merger with your biggest competitor, which mm-hmm. was FanDuel, is FanDuel perhaps. Could you just give us a little color on that? The FTC blocked it, so it never went through, obviously. What were you thinking? It was a pretty bold step. And then if you had to do it over again, knowing what you know, would you have still made that decision? So I've been trying to merge the companies for like almost two years before finally we were able to get it done. You know, it was a big kind of project for me. I had really, it was my thing. So it was something I was really passionate about and felt was the right move for us. Now that we're seeing more opening up faster than we thought of sports betting, I actually think it ended up working out well because what happened was right around the same time that the FTC blocked our merger, the Supreme Court announced that they were taking up the New Jersey sports betting case. And we immediately, like literally next day, went all in on building a sports betting product. So we've been working on our sports betting product for like about a year now. And there's no way we would have been able to do that if we were instead focusing on integrating the two companies. And knowing how hard it is to build a sports betting product now, I'm glad that we had that time and I'm glad that we didn't have that distraction. I think, you know, long term, maybe it would have been better to do it. But short term, that was definitely a good thing. As far as whether I would not have done it or I regret doing it in the first place, absolutely not. We gained more market share during that merger process than any other time in our history. And I think we emerged a much stronger company. So why is that? Talk about that. You did something kind of interesting. You raised capital into the merger. So there's a couple things. First, we were uncompromising about decisions around who was running the company and what platform and things like that. And we knew what the right answers and outcome would be. And that really, I think, helped put us in a a much stronger position. It was, I think, a difficult thing for them. When you're battling competition, it's always good when you make life a little harder for your competitor and easier for you. And then we also made the decision to raise capital right after the merger announcement happened. And that ended up being a really good thing because it's actually funny I won't name them, but some of my investors were 
complaining going into it, like, oh, this sucks. This is going to close. We're going to have all this money on the balance sheet that we didn't need to bring. And we're not getting any extra economics on the deal. So that's not fair. So that's all I was hearing until, you know, didn't happen. And, oh, actually, that was probably a pretty smart move that we did that. So we went into the NFL season with a pretty nice balance sheet, and we were able to spend quite a bit. And even before that, throughout the period during the merger process, we were gaining share. When we first started the merger discussions, actually, when we signed the term sheet, we were about roughly the same size as them. A year before, they were almost three times our size. We were about the same size. So there was already a trend going. By the time the merger broke up, we were about 50 to 60% bigger than that. Well, that doesn't happen very often when you have the number two, and you started fairly after FanDuel. Yeah, we were three yeah. years later than them. Three years later, wow. So catching up to today, I think this is somewhat breaking news that we can share in this room, is I think it's made it out a little bit, but you applied for a license in New Jersey. That is a new update, correct? We applied for a license And I think we're uh, actually ahead of the curve there because we couldn't officially apply for a license until they actually passed a law and regulations for Sportsbook. Mm -hmm. We've actually been working with the Department of Gaming Enforcement in New Jersey for almost seven or eight months now. So they've been spending a lot of time with the company, viewing our platform, looking at, I've had a full colonoscopy exam courtesy of the New Jersey Department of Gaming Enforcement now. So uh, a lot it's of been a lengthy, yeah. yeah, it's been a lengthy process, but we actually officially applied the day that the governor signed the bill and it, you know there was actually a licensing process put in place for sports betting. So May 14th, the Supreme Court has its ruling. It essentially allows for states to govern their own gambling. Importantly, they can't do it in between states, but they can do it within their state. What were you doing when you heard the news? Was this like a draft day kind of thing? What was going on there? I was actually in New York in the car on the way from the airport. I had a whole day of meetings planned to go to my first meeting in New York and immediately canceled everything and instead did TV interviews and other sorts of media interviews all day. So total change, but it was a fun day. One of those, like, you know, you just won the Super Bowl kind of days, and no matter what questions they threw or whatever, I was just riding high. That You're just day. happy. Yeah. So what's it going to take this to win the Super Bowl here? So it, you have to go state by state. Tell us a little bit about New Jersey, which is in the vanguard here. You have decided to partner with resorts, which is a land-based casino. You need market access, so they're your partner. Why them? And how do you see the competition shaking up in, the, let's take New Jersey for now? So resorts, they checked every box for us. They were very online and mobile focused. Not all the casinos are. A lot of them were more physical sportsbook focused, but they totally got the importance of online and mobile right away. They gave us a very reasonable deal, so that was great. And we got to know the team a little bit and just clicked with them, felt like they were somebody that we were going to have a good working relationship with, which is important. This is going to take a lot of twists and turns. I don't think anybody knows exactly how it's going to play out. And having somebody you get along with that is going to be reasonable to talk to and, and work with is important. And it will be competitive. You know, I mentioned FanDuel earlier, and while we gained a lot of share during the merger, they just did a deal. It's a great deal for them with Patty Betfair. They got bought by Patty Betfair. They've replaced their CEO. I think their new CEO is really good, and I think he'll do a great job bringing them into the sports betting market. So they're going to definitely be a competitor to contend with, especially now that they've teamed up with Patty. I think all the European bookmakers are, are looking at this market and saying, how do we get into the U.S.? So a lot of them are pretty big. They're publicly traded. They have access to a lot of capital. They know what they're doing in this space. It's going to be more competitive than anything we've ever dealt with. But I think the team's focused. We're prepared. We've been working on this for a year plus now. So 
a lot of the how does this all work learning phase were well beyond. So now we just got to execute. And so speak of execution for a second. So <clears throat> we'll come back to the competition, but when will people here? Let's show of hands. Who has DraftKings here? Just out of curiosity. The uh, publisher of ESPN, the ex-publisher. Yeah, so, uh, that's it. Really? Is that surprising? I don't know what kind of people you invite. Yeah, this oh gosh, all right. Um, I think they're all tuning out, thinking about the bar. Yeah, you're holding them back from the bar. But um, when will we actually see a betting product from you? Our product's ready. We have to wait until our license is granted, and then we can go live. We're estimating sometime in early August will be when we go live. But In um, New Jersey. In New Jersey. Exclusively, yeah. Well, New Jersey will be the first state. I think the other one that might be on the fast track is West Virginia, and we're hopeful that West Virginia will actually have reciprocity with Jersey. So once you're licensed in Jersey, we'll be able to go live in both, hopefully. Okay. At least that's the way things are looking. It's a little bit out of our hands, actually, totally out of our hands. They can grant it whenever they want. They understand that we need to get in market at least a few weeks ahead of NFL. So they get that and they've assured us that we're ahead of that timeline, but it's up to them when they want to grant the license. We'll be ready to go pretty much as soon as that happens though. And will it all be within the DraftKings app? You will be able to access it. So it'll all be integrated, but it has to be a separate app. So we'll have a separate app. Once you download it, though, it'll be almost like you don't have two apps. Everything is deep linked together. So we'll have buttons in the fantasy app that just automatically deep link and open up the other one. The accounts will be linked. So your same account, your same funds, your same wallet, all will be integrated between the two. So if you're holding money on DraftKings now, that money will be instantly accessible on the sportsbook product. All the market Marketing and cross-sell will be using the same machine learning algorithms that we built for fantasy sports, repurposing them for the sports betting product, and we have tons of data on people. So we understand what sports they like, what teams they like, you know, what their preferences along times of day for engaging with the app, things like that are. So we're going to apply all that on the Sportsbook app as well. And the goal is to make it seem like it's one app, like it's one seamless experience. But you will need to do new downloads of an app. That's it. Once you download and install it, you're done. But you will have to do that, yes. Do you see a big marketing blitz coming? Is this going to be 2015 again? I think it'll definitely be different. There will be a lot of marketing, but... For the know, media companies out here, I'm sure they're yeah. excited. Well, don't get too excited. This <laughs> is going to be a state-by-state thing. So I think a lot of the national media companies, it's going to be hard to advertise on Monday Night Football or Sports Center if you only have four states that are allowing it. As it gets more prevalent through the rest of the country, I think you'll see more national advertising. But a lot of it's going to be regionally focused, which... For us, we feel is an advantage because we've been buying on mobile and online. We're actually really sophisticated mobile and digital marketing. And a lot of that is easier to localize. There's offline stuff like radio and signage you can do, but TV is much more expensive to buy locally. So it's actually, I think, an advantage to be very digitally focused and mobile focused in our marketing. And I think a lot of what you'll see initially is more skewed that way until uh, it's present in enough states to make national ad buying make sense. Okay, so let's talk about the localized nature of it. One, there's several dynamics to sports betting that are both clearly interesting but also limiting. A big concept in betting is liquidity, right? How much money is available to balance the book for the bet so that the operator can make their margin safely. If you are only operating, let's say, New Jersey, let's use that example, there is the risk that all the money pours in on one side, right? It's the Giants, the Eagles, the Phillies, whoever. Can you effectively balance that? How do you hedge the risks as the operator? We know in Vegas that's been some of the issue during the Stanley Cup that all the bets and throughout the season had been coming into the Knights, and it was hard to uh, balance that. How do you tackle that as an operator? 
Well, I think if you believe your odds are right, then in most cases you don't want to balance the book. You want to take as much action as possible and you'll win in the long run. But in certain cases, like the Knights, who are 500 to 1, or my favorite one I always use is the Mayweather-McGregor fight, where everybody thought McGregor was a significant underdog. I mean, I think real odds would have been like 20 or 30 to 1. He was priced across sports books at 7 to 1. So if you had unlimited capital, great take those bets all day long. But if you had $50 million of exposure on McGregor, that's 350 potential loss uh, if he somehow does pull it out. And they're not fighting 100 times. They were fighting once. So it's not like it would balance over the course. That's a great example. The Super Bowl can be... So these big events where there's a lot of loss exposure, there's... uh, What they do is they call laying off action. So there's others that will take that action off of you. If it's a balancing the book issue, you're allowed to make bets yourself at other books that are maybe balanced, unbalanced on the other side. Hmm. So there's ways that you can mitigate that. The industry's built up a lot of these avenues to do that. Interesting. You said the apps will be linked, so you'll have your daily fantasy account, you'll have your sports betting account. Let's talk about a little bit of the profile of these businesses. Daily fantasy is a pretty good business. It's fairly high margin. Sports betting is less so, at least from a margin perspective. From your investors, from you, are you concerned about the cannibalization amongst the two products? This has actually been an interesting topic because who knows, right, until they're both operating together. One thing, though, that we've noted is roughly 80% of our customers on surveys tell us they're already betting regularly on online offshore books anyway. So we're really first trying to just bring that volume over to us. And I don't think there'll be much cannibalization. I also think that it's a much more mainstream product. So there should be more activity and more people on the platform, which should make everything go up. Maybe longer term, there's some cannibalization. But fantasy is not a high monetization product. It's great in terms of getting users and keeping them active. We have really strong engagement metrics. But people are betting on sports and playing fantasy spend many, many more dollars betting on sports than they do on fantasy fantasy on average. So it really isn't taking up a whole lot of their entertainment wallet share. And I don't personally expect that it's going to go down, but we'll see as it plays out. So you talked about the criticality of data, certainly to a sports book. Are you at liberty to talk about how you are approaching the data market, the suppliers you'll use? How do you look at that landscape? Much like the fantasy business, we're going to make it a point to have as much of our own technology as possible. But just like the fantasy business, there are things we'll use third parties for. So, for example, we use companies like Sport Radar and Stats for our statistics feeds. We'll have similar for our sports betting. One of the big things we're outsourcing, and I don't know how long we'll do this for, probably it could be something at least for most sports we do forever, is the odds making and trading and risk management. And actually, most of the companies in Europe do the same thing. It's pretty commoditized. Everyone's looking at everyone else, and everyone kind of has the same odds. So you can choose if you want for marketing purposes to give better odds, but everyone's sort of settled on what the right markets are and what the right odds in those markets are. So that's something that we're going to use a third-party source for in the beginning. It's not our area of expertise. We really focused on our UI, our payments and platform, our marketing, our cross-sell from fantasy, linking the wallets so that you can use the same funds for fantasy as for sportsbook, same account. That's really where we focused, at least for this initial go. Let's talk about the leagues for a second. I think this has been in the news a fair amount that the leagues are now asking, where's my cut of this? And there's been this idea of the uh, integrity fee that's been promulgated, which is 
we have to make this full of integrity. And for that, you should give us 1% of the handle. At least that's one proposal I heard. You were a pioneer in some of the league deals, I believe. You had the first MLB deal in 2013, so you're no stranger to these leagues. You spent a lot of money with them. Now you find yourself potentially on the other side of it in terms of this integrity fee fight. Where do you stand on the integrity fee, and how will overall the leagues play here, you think? I mean, I'm probably in the minority with the operators on this, but I think it's a good thing if they get some of it. They're obviously a huge stakeholder in this, and it's very beneficial to get this spread throughout as many states as quickly as possible if they're on board and they're pushing it. So I don't think it hurts to give them a little bit of the revenue or a little bit of the handle you from it. You think 1% is the right? It won't be 1%. I mean, I think it'll be a lot less than that. They do spend a lot of money creating their product in you know, same way people pay them for TV rights. And I'm in the minority here. I know a lot of people disagree, but I don't think it's an unreasonable ask if it ends up mounting. They're doing it by handle because they don't want to have a motivation to see who wins or loses. But the latest proposal is going to amount to like 3 to 5% of the revenue. Like That doesn't seem crazy to me to get the leagues in a place where they're excited about this and pushing it hard throughout the states. So that, it seems like, is your motivation, that the leagues will then embrace yeah. this, they will see this. Everywhere you go when you talk. Is the I mean, media do dollars it. not enough, though? I mean, maybe it could be for some, but, you know, I think right now, the reason this is happening is all the stakeholders, the stars are aligned. They want it, right? And the biggest question, we do a lot of lobbying, is you go around to the states, the legislators, the regulators, is, oh, well, isn't this going to damage the integrity of the game? What do the leagues think about this? And if you have the sports leagues there saying, no, we want this, we think this is good, here's the right way to do it. We're going to actually contribute some of the policing to this, and some of that is going to come from what's being funded by these fees. I think that that makes it a lot faster for this to get up and running in 20, 30-plus states. And it's not that it wouldn't happen anyway, but I think it's worth tra- – I mean, it's going to be like a $10, $20 billion revenue market if it expands to 30 states or so that most people are forecasting. There's plenty to go around. I'm not worried about that. And I think they're a key stakeholder. They're potentially the key stakeholder. So – makes a lot of sense to me that getting them in a good place is helpful for everyone, but I understand not everyone agrees with me on that. Do you have concerns? So at the pro league level, you certainly have players making a ton of money. It's a big market, big economics. As you go down the food chain a bit, you have college. Where does it cut off in terms of the bets you'll accept? And do you as a fan have fears that, you know, there's a UTEP game somewhere that might be much more influenced, frankly, by the amount of money sloshing around now with sports betting legalized. Right now, it looks like the cutoff will be at college sports. You know, even minor leagues are not included. Esports was actually prohibited by the New Jersey law, which is a little disappointing. I was looking forward to esports betting, but the argument was <laughs> that it appeals Fortnite to children. Player, yeah. I, I like esports. I'm, I'm a nerd like that, I guess, uh, but <laughs> I like it, and I think that. The betting is a good part of, I mean, it's a spectator sport, just like any other sports. I think fantasy and betting should be a part of the experience. But the argument was that esports betting would appeal to children. So it's unfortunate. I think they need to probably build up their lobbying a little bit so they don't have that happen in a lot of states. But for somebody like us, it was a trade-off we were fine with in order to get the other stuff there. You know, as far as the concerns, like the UTEP example you gave, I think this helps. Already, people are betting. That's the thing that everybody has to remember. There is $150 billion estimated to be wagered illegally annually in the U.S. each year. Right now, there's absolutely no regulation, no oversight of that. 
believe me, We're fixes are happening. The well, I think the difference is right now, if something irregular happens, no one's forced to report it. And the good news here is the operators like us, we're motivated. We don't want fixing. I mean, forget the spectator, me as a fan, like as an operator, we don't want fixing. That's people taking us for money, right? Mm -hmm. You know, as much as I'm sure there's loads and loads of betting happening on the UTEP game, if all of a sudden huge money comes in on one side, I mean, we're going to notice. And Maybe a little slippage will happen here and there, but anybody who's going to do that is going to probably want to make meaningful money. And there's still black markets in other parts of the world that are going to be much easier to get significant wagers down versus here. So I think, if anything, this will help because any irregularities now across all operators, they're going to have to report it. They're going to have law enforcement investigations. I think they're going to catch more of it, which will deter more of it. But it's already happening. For everyone that gets caught now, there are multiple that are not getting caught. I guarantee you that. Okay. Let's sort of switch gears for a second, then I want to come back to one more on betting, which is you've talked a lot, and and we started this conversation with the description of your company, sports tech entertainment platform. You know, not daily fantasy, not even sports betting, right? Much more than that. So to me, that makes me think media What are your aspirations on the media side as media operator yourself? We think media and gaming slash betting are going to converge. There's just too many synergies between them for it not to happen. And there's regulatory and other wrinkles. They could take a little time, but that's where the world is going, in our opinion. And I think that that means we need to make sure we are well positioned to be successful. And that really takes a few forms. One, forming tight relationships and partnerships with the media companies so that we're working together on things that are synergistic. Two, making our own investment in the media business. So we're producing original content now. We're integrating streaming into our product. All sorts of things that I think make it a stickier, more attractive product and also help bring more customers onto the platform. And I think eventually you're going to see a lot of that just happening in the same place from the same companies, the same people buying sports rights, producing content. They're going to be the ones taking the bets, fantasy, all that sort of stuff. It's actually already happening in fantasy. If you look at fantasy's brief history since it hit the Internet, in the late 90s, it was all startups. My Fantasy League, Sportsline, they were the ones doing fantasy sports. Many of them got bought. Now the top players in fantasy sports on the season-long fantasy sports side are ESPN, Yahoo, CBS. So I think that's where this all is going. And um, we think we have a little window here where it's going to be tricky enough for the media companies to get into it. And they'll be hesitant enough for other reasons that we can make significant headway. But we better get there quickly before they, I mean, it's sort of like to use an analogy, Netflix had to figure out how to get into original content and other stuff before everyone just jacked up the rights costs on them, and it totally made their model. And we sort of feel the same way. It's just too easy if you own a media company to acquire and retain users without having to spend boatloads on marketing. We need to get big, and we need to get a presence in content media before they catch on and decide, all right, it's time for us to jump in. And hopefully at that point, it'll make more sense for them to partner with us than it will to do it on their own. So how else could this manifest? Do you foresee potentially a DraftKings over-the-top channel, for instance? Will you be bidding on rights? So we're not bidding on rights, maybe one day, but there's enough big players doing that right now that we're going to stay out of that game. What we're going to do is say, okay, everyone who now owns these rights, the 100-plus OTT channels out there, the streaming services, we want to partner with you. 
We have the customers that want your product. We have the data and targeting ability to get it to them. We have all their payment info and personal information saved. So instead of making them go through a cumbersome sign-up funnel, we can click a button, just like Amazon one-click checkout, and they've subscribed to your service. And we actually don't mind sharing the lion's share of the economics with you because the value for us is really driving our gaming business. So we think that's a pretty attractive value proposition to partner. And a lot of these people have invested a lot of money in these rights, and now they've got to figure out how to monetize them. So we think we sit in a really good spot there for that reason, and that's where we want to play. And who knows, maybe one day we'll be actually bidding on them ourselves, but in the near term, that's not our focus. So you could see yourself certainly partnering to put your presentation onto their content. Could you see potentially licensing kind of sort of like a Fubo or some? We could do that too. Yeah, I think it all depends on the economics. We do not want to go make big investments in uh, licensing content, but if there's reasonable deals to be done there, we will. We're more interested in going to the people who own the content, who are looking to distribute it, but have a, a need to reach more customers and to convert them more frictionless fashion and say, we have a platform to do that. But, you know, there may be cases where it's inexpensive or it's smaller niche stuff where it makes sense to license. A lot of the after the game highlights are a lot cheaper to license versus the live content. So we might end up doing some licensing deals there. But as far as like, you know, we will not be competing with ESPN for Monday Night Football or Amazon for Thursday Night Football streaming. Do you think any of the tech giants will get into betting? I hope not. Um, (laughs) I actually worry, you know, you talked competition before. That's the thing that worries me the most is Google or Amazon or somebody like that decides they want Facebook. I think at least in the near term, for the same reason the big media companies won't, they won't. It's a very cumbersome licensing process. I doubt Jeff Bezos wants to go through it. Also, you know, I think they're all in a great spot now in terms of their ability to have avoided regulatory intrusion. So I think the last thing they want is to give the regulators an excuse to start poking around under the hood. At least that's my hope. Eventually, I don't know what business they're not thinking about getting into. So that's always something we got to worry about. And, but again, I think we're going to try to form partnerships there. I know Amazon's making a big investment in data services. They've uh, you know, bid on the Thursday Night Football streaming. Facebook's got baseball and other streaming. Twitter's doing a bunch of stuff. Similar to the media companies, they're really making investments in the content and the licensing. So we think there's some interesting partnerships to be done there. And that's the route we hope it all goes down. Okay, quick last couple questions. All right, trivia for you. Not trivia, crystal ball, five years, five constituents of the gambling landscape. Who's going to make the most money in the end of five years? Is it going to be the operators? I know this is somewhat a softball, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you'll be objective. The The operators, the media companies, the data suppliers, the market access owners, like the horse tracks or the land-based casinos, or the leagues themselves. Which of those fives makes the most money in sports betting in five years? Directly or indirectly? Directly. Operators. Sorry, I know that was the biased answer, but I think it's the objective answer, too. You really think that's the answer? Yeah. Indirectly, I think the leagues, but directly, I think the operators. Okay. Because I think when I say the leagues and also I throw the media companies in there, there's going to be a lot of advertising, a lot of additional viewership on the content. So that's the indirect, and I think that'll be massive. But I do not think that they are going to have as much of the direct pie. They may have some, but as much as the operators, unless some of them become operators, but then they're operators, so they're included. Then they get the definition. You're raising capital right now? Mm Mm-hmm. All right, if anyone out there would just come up to Jason at the end. Yeah, you could just hand me a check. <laughs> I hope you have a lot of money. Is this a public company? I'll take the James Lindsay question. I would say two to three years. It's my best estimate. I mean, that's our goal is to be public. Is that a dream of yours? 
Not really a personal dream. I think it's the right thing for the company. For me, staying independent is important. So it's possible to stay private longer now. But eventually, I think we have a lot of investors who are going to want public liquidity. That's probably our outcome, I would say. But you know, the most important thing to me is like, this is the break we are waiting for. It's going to be a huge opportunity. I want to stay independent. And I want to go after it. And I'm guessing, I think, probably in like the two to three year time frame that the right move for us to continue to go down that path is to become a public company. All right. Well, we look forward to you going after it. Jason Robbins, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you want to check out any prior episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Feel free to leave a review there as it helps people find the show. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at KindredCast for behind the scenes photos and info. Keep listening and see you next time. Audiation.